The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash the Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. Hi, this is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. There are many photographers who pick up a camera because they have a desire to make a difference. Whether it's as a photojournalist, a documentary photographer, or a fine art photographer, these people want to make images that not only look good, but photographs that can affect change in people's lives. Noah Montes is one such photographer. His passion for photography goes well beyond anything to do with shutter speeds and aperture and is rooted in a sincere love of humanity. It's that humanity that pervades all his work, whether it's documenting the lives of migrant farm workers or the lives of ordinary people here in Los Angeles. Well, Noah, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to, to have you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Really like your work. I'm glad that Jesse had the opportunity to uh, introduce us. And you know, looking at your work, it's really kind of interesting because I, I see the diversity of your work and how much you cover. And I go, this guy's a real L.A. photographer um, because you're not just covering like one small aspect of right. Los Angeles. It's pretty diverse. Yeah. But you, know, you weren't born here in the city. And I was kind of wondering how you being sort of a, a sort of an outsider coming from somewhere else has helped you in the way that you see and you photograph Los Angeles. I think that... Um what it does coming as an you know outsider to LA, at least for me, I I was able to, I don't really appreciate it. I think that maybe if you grow up here, if you live here your whole life, I don't know, maybe you're locked into a certain perspective of it. Of it. But um, coming here, I, I was able to see it very broadly. Like I traveled to a lot of the different places of LA for work or to visit or you know different things and. Uh, I just saw that. I just saw how diverse it was. It's an enormous city, you know. Where were you originally from? I'm from Modesto, California. Okay. Uh, I was well. I was born there. Uh, never lived there, but I'm. I guess you could say I'm from the San Joaquin Valley mm-hmm. because my parents were migrant workers, so they followed the harvests. They were farm workers, so they followed the harvests up and down the San Joaquin Valley and down into Arizona. The harvest season California starts in early May, mm-hmm. so they would move to around Central California, Stockton, Lodi, that area, uh, around May, and be there throughout the summer, and then at the end of October we'd move someplace else to uh, looking for work. They would yeah. be looking for work. So, well, sometimes we went to Arizona because that's that's where the citrus is in the winter. In the winter, there's a the citrus season starts in Arizona. There's also lettuce. You know, some winter crops. So anyway, we'd move around every six months, and that's kind of how I grew up through my childhood and my adolescence. Tell me what that life was like, because, you know, in this country, uh, people are always moving, yeah. right? But to an ex- to extent that you've just described, you're moving to a much greater degree yeah. than, than most people are accustomed to, and you're so dependent on where the work is. Right. But as a child, 
what, what did you sort of make of, of that, of constantly sort of being in flux and never being able to settle into one particular spot? I think as a child, I think similar to everybody else's childhood, you're not so, so aware of your life in the larger context, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of what I knew. It's kind of what the people that were around me, that's our, just how our life was. We just moved around all the time. Basically every six months, we'd have to move to a different place, sometimes less than that. And, you know, now I talk to people about it and I see that it's fairly unusual, especially how much we moved. But at the time, it was, uh, that was just what was happening. It was kind of great, actually, to yeah. be honest. I, and I think it gave me, I don't know, like a, a need, a want to always have that, that change, that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe subconsciously it's in there somewhere. But uh, I do appreciate that. I guess it was hard in some some senses because uh, we, you know, sometimes I wouldn't go to three different schools in one school year because mm-hmm. we did continue our education, myself and my siblings. So we'd move, we'd start school one place and move and then go to school for another couple of months and then move again to a different place and go to another school. That's how, that's how our school year was. So I guess it was isolating in a way. I never really developed like long-term friendships mm-hmm. with kids. But, uh, you know, I had my family, my extended family. A lot of my uncles and aunts were in this, doing the same thing and so my cousins. So. When, when did you start realizing that that was different from the experience of other, other people? Mm, maybe like late in high school, uh, after high school. Because I still, uh, a lot of people around me were doing the same thing. So I think at that point, once I started, uh, I went to college, in, I went to community college in Arizona, in Yuma and in Mesa. And I think once I started seeing other people's lives and kind of becoming more aware of the world more widely, you know, I, I saw that uh, that it was different, you know, than most people's lives. But, you know, everybody has their story. How do you think that that experience in terms of not only your your parents' work from you sort of moving around, about being part of a world that is largely invisible to the rest of us. Yeah. Um, How does that influence what you do as a photographer? Well, I think now I'm really kind of understanding that more. I'm I'm really kind of digging into how that shaped me, and especially in terms of photography, because the work that I'm doing now is is about that. I mean, I I don't think I consciously set out you know, to reveal what's invisible or, you know, mm-hmm. to, to show these people's lives. But it is, was, it is what's most interesting to me now. And it's probably because I think everybody's favorite subject is themselves, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, I think I'm coming back to that. I mean, for a long time, I actually purposefully moved away from it. I didn't want to be, especially as a photographer, as an artist, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be pigeonholed as that. Just saying this is the guy that does that work. Right. So I moved away from that, but I think as I've grown older, matured, I've it's become more interesting to me. You know, I think I'm I'm kind of dealing with it now. So to answer your question, I think that uh, U.S. popular culture is very monolithic. There's a very narrow idea of happiness and uh, beauty. I I'm right now I'm trying to kind of broaden that at least for myself and hopefully. For other people who see my work, there's all these people's lives, you know, and it's very different, it's very diverse. Yeah, I mean, it's to to a certain extent, and maybe more and more, it's becoming political, and 
uh, my work is about power, you know, mm -hmm. meaning, and uh, race for sure. So, can I you tell us a little more, in, a little more in detail, the work that you're working on right now? There's a couple of projects. One of them is uh, about farm workers, so it's a very personal project that I'm working on. It's uh, the subject is the community of farm workers in the Eastern Coachella Valley, which is about two hours east of Los Angeles. And uh, there's a lot of agriculture there. It's a desert, but they have a pretty decent water source from the Colorado River. They also have an underground aquifer. So it's about that community, and it's about the resources in that community, which really is just the people in the community, mm -hmm. because the community itself is doing a lot of work to address a lot of the social justice issues that are present there. There's, uh, you know, all kinds of problems, just as in any other underserved, you know, low-income community in this country. A lot of problems, a lot of issues of, of uh, you name it, drug abuse, substance abuse, domestic violence, uh, inequality in education, healthcare, all of that stuff. I mean, list goes on and on. And the people who are working on um, to address those issues, you know, in one way or another, are fantastic people. They're, you know, so so the work is about them. It's so. Are you working with NGOs? Is that what primarily? Or are you working? No, on it's a, it's small nonprofits mm -hmm. uh, that are local small nonprofits, and a lot of individuals, individuals who have taken it upon themselves to better their community. So, you know, for example, there's a woman. Her name is Mili Mili Trevino. And uh, she started an organization called Lideres Campesinas, which means leadership in farm workers. Mm -hmm. And it's women. It's all women. It's comprised of all women. And now there's about seven chapters of it. And what they do is that they teach leadership in their communities to other people. So it's, they have a variety of services. And it's very, very um, roots-based organizations. Just people in the community, from the community, working for the community. Right. So they've been around for a long time now doing great work. So, I mean, that's just one example. And like I said, it's just the fact that this woman, in this case, Mili, took it upon herself to do this just because of what she had seen, what she had experienced. She was a farm worker herself. It's just people like that. Yeah. So how does that, the fact that your background comes from that yeah. help you in terms of producing the work that you're doing with, with these organizations? So I think one of the ways that it helps me is that uh, it's part of the job is to go into the community to establish relationships to be able to have access to the community mm -hmm. so to be able to photograph and interview people you have to do a lot of legwork you know uh, you have to you have to talk to them about your doing about what you're doing uh, get across the fact that you want to do this respectfully because you know uh, people are wary they're you know they don't want to be taken advantage of yeah so I think the fact that I am from a similar background, helps in the sense that they recognize me. They recognize that, you know, we have the same language. We, mm -hmm. I know what I'm talking about because I've experienced it. So that definitely helps. You know, there have been other photographers who have visited, you know, this, this world. Right. A lot of it is well-intentioned. Yes. But a lot of it sometimes can be more of a reflection of the photographer than it is about the people who are being documented. Right. How sensitive are you to, to that? When you're going out there as you know a photographer, even though you come from that same life experience, it's complicated. I looked at a lot of photography that has been done about farm workers, and that was actually part of the reason that I wanted to do this because a lot of it is similar in the sense that it presents the community, that particular community, as a uh, a victim of, mm -hmm. of injustices uh, of injustice, which is true. Uh, but it's it's much more complex than that. You know, that's one aspect of people's lives. So 
I looked at a lot of work and I saw that a lot of the work was uh, using the community as a subject to speak about these issues, which is fine. And then a lot of the work was also from a distance. Mm -hmm. So people were in the fields working and they were almost just kind of shapes in a composition. Right. So it wasn't very personal in that sense. So I very consciously set out to get beyond that. So what I would do is spend, you know, a, a lot of time um, in conversation, interviewing, getting to know people before doing the photography. And then the photography itself is very, it's very close. We're, mm-hmm. we're taking portraits and we're all present, you know, myself and them. And we're working together to create something. So, you know, I did look a lot of work at a lot of work. And uh, I think that helped shape my project about Farmworkers, but I also recognize that um, as as much as uh, as familiar as I am with the subject, I I'm also an outsider. Yeah, you know. So, like I said, it's complicated. So that's uh, you know, it's a it, you have to navigate that carefully. When you are so aware of like the cliches, yeah, that have been made of that, is that something that? pops into your mind while you're out there shooting or have you gotten to the point where you can sort of put that aside and just be focused on on the moment and your interaction with the people and what you're doing rather than sort of finding yourself second guessing yourself at any yeah. any given time does that play no, a part I don't I don't really second guess, guess myself I uh, I think uh, for this for this work what I did was I did a lot of research on the front end mm-hmm. so even before I went out there looked at a lot of work did tons of reading so I, w- I, I knew what I wanted to do. You know, I, I knew what I was looking for. Uh, at the same time, I was open. You know, I kept myself open to what was happening, especially as you're shooting, like yeah. in the moment that you're shooting. One of the things that I do whenever possible is I, I set up a situation, meaning, you know, I, there's a little bit of production value that goes into this image making as opposed to kind of a, a fly-on-the-wall type of documentary or mm-hmm. photo, photojournalism. A lot of times I'll bring lighting, I'll shoot tethered, I'll shoot to my laptop. And so, you know, it's not just like it's going to, I'm just going to put my camera to my eye and shoot something. Okay. There's some production. There's something is happening that is about photography. So there's a situation created where I know what I'm doing, the subject can see what I'm doing. And then I do uh, give direction for the f- photograph, you know, turn this way, turn that way, look up, etc. But... Within that, if you leave yourself open to something that's happening, maybe the subject does something, the way they hold their hands or mm-hmm. they turn. So all of that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm very open. I'm kind of hyper aware of that because I've created the situation where I can kind of. So I'm not really thinking about the previous work at that point. Like I've already, I guess, established how I feel and, and what I do, what I want to do in regards to that. Yeah. But you didn't, photography wasn't your first career. No, um, you sort of, from what I was reading, that you were doing some other work and you were doing sort of photography on a part time, but then yeah. eventually you made the leap to going full time. Tell us a little bit about this time where you were working someone else and you were just working primarily on personal projects. Yeah. What, what was what was life for you back then? I went to high school in Arizona in Yuma, and uh, honestly, I I don't think I really had much of a plan for the future at that point. Just kind of moving along and. I, you know, I was a good student, so, you know, my grades were decent. So I just honestly didn't have much, didn't think much about the future at that point. 
uh, almost uh, almost by default, I was started taking uh, technology classes, electronic classes. So after high school, I got an associate's degree in electronics at the community college in, in Arizona. And I started working in that field. And what I was doing was component level repair work mm-hmm. for laser equipment. Do you know that they use laser equipment for land leveling no, and agriculture and construction? What they do is they have a laser, which through a series of mirrors and um, mechanics, they make spin very fast, mm-hmm. which creates a plane of light. So if you can imagine just a, a plane of laser light, then they use that as a reference for land leveling to make oh, the ground. Okay. So anyway, I was working for, for a company in Arizona doing that kind of work in the field. I would be driving around, repairing the, work, the, the equipment. It was, uh, it was very just kind of mechanic work almost at times, just very dirty out in the, you know, working on tractors basically sometimes, and then coming back into the shop and, and uh, doing the repair work on the electronics part. But I was fairly young. I was about 20 years old when I was doing that. And I saw, my, I saw that my future was possibly going to be doing that for the next 30 or 40 years. Mm. And I just, I, I was kind of, I wasn't terrified, but I was just like, you know, <laughs> oh my God, I can't do this. I started kind of casting around and, and trying to see what else would interest me. And I'd always had an interest in art, uh, you know, ever since childhood. So I started taking electronics, uh, I mean, um, art classes at the community college. I took a couple art history classes. After work, I'd, I'd take classes and uh, I took a photo class. And almost immediately, I was really just enchanted and, and just drawn to photography. And at the time, it was darkroom work. So it was, you know, shoot film, process film, print by hand, all of that stuff. And it was fantastic. I mean, I would spend entire nights just in the darkroom, just printing my work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I loved it. I, so it drew me in. And over the years, over, you know, the next 20 years, I slowly made my way out of doing the work, kind of work that I was doing uh, into what I'm doing now, which is photographing. But, you know, it was a, a series of, like, leaps of faith. I I moved to New York and worked a bunch of sometimes pretty crappy jobs, but it, they were all in the photo field, so it was good. You know, it'd be printing midnights in labs or doing production work. or So all of these things until slowly over the years. Like I said, it was a series of leaps of faith, and uh, I would leave a job just with the, just thinking, this is going to move me towards what I want to do and eventually I learned Photoshop at some point it was uh, a co-worker said to me in, in New York said, if you really want to be doing photography you need to learn Photoshop and I said well I don't even have a computer he goes buy the cheapest Mac that you can find and uh, I'll give you the program and go through all the menus just sit there and go through every single menu so I did that and I, I got pretty good at it you know and so eventually I was doing work for service bureaus, printing, mm-hmm. scanning, stuff like that in New York. And then when I moved to L.A., I continued that work, eventually found my way to a stock agency that I mentioned earlier. So I was working in their digital lab. And then I left there around the, some, the time my son was born to pursue photography full time. So then, you know, obviously I didn't have any clients, so I had to, <laughs> had to figure out what I was going to do. So I did a lot of photo assisting and production assisting. Okay. Um, on some on a lot of really interesting shoots uh, so but that actually formed kind of my ideas of what I want to be doing now 
the production work. Yeah. Because I worked on a lot of really uh, commercial and editorial work that was fantastic. You know, just, you know, celebrity shoots and all that stuff. But doing that, I realized after a while, I thought that that's what I wanted to do. That actually made me realize that it wasn't what I wanted to do, that kind of work. Right. Working in that, in that world, in that field. So how did you transition to what you did want to do? How did you sort of find that, create that path for yourself? You know, working in the commercial world, you know, I just did a, a presentation like last week about this, so it's a little bit fresh in my mind that I can tell you. One of the things that happened was that uh, I looked, you know, I was working um, in, in as an assistant, a lot of times as a production assistant in, in commercial shoots, on commercial shoots, editorial shoots for, you know, fa- fashion magazines, you know, you name it, all this stuff you see out in culture and I I noticed I saw how much money we were spending on those productions mm-hmm. I mean I think that there was at least a few that were the budget for them was probably close to a million dollars you know for like a one day shoot or two day shoot I, it just started really getting to me I was I just I had to start I had to ask myself what exactly was happening like what were we doing I mean, the answer was that we were spending an enormous amount of human capital and financial capital to prop up consumer culture. I thought, like I said, I thought that that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after seeing it and after being there, I think that I just, again, like it was like when I was young and trying to figure out what I was trying to do, I, I realized that I didn't want that because that, I don't know, it doesn't seem very productive generally for us everyone as a society so um i started looking around for a different way to be in the world as a photographer and be able to make a living and you know be able to be creatively satisfied and i started looking for work that uh like i said it still allowed me to be creative but had maybe that was gonna address the problems in our culture and our society and hopefully help to move us all in a more towards a more positive future. You know, what I can say, what I can tell other photographers who are looking in this, uh, at this very same situation is that the good news is that there is. There is a way. You know, uh, what I've been able to do is work with nonprofits and, and uh, institutions, especially here locally in L.A., that uh, work on these kinds of things. I mean, the budgets aren't enormous. You know, it's not like production, not like commercial work, um, but it's good work. It's mm-hmm. good work, and it's you know enough to keep you going. And creatively, I have no complaints. Honestly, for me, if I'm creatively satisfied, like a lot of the, the rest of my life kind of arranges itself around that. So I keep moving forward in my own work and the development of my work, yeah. and I'm happy that I've been able to find distribution for my work in a world that's hopefully making a difference. Yeah. Well, spell out that, that relationship for me a little more because uh, I think, it's, a, it's, I think it's, it's an interesting one and I think a lot of uh, photographers aspire to do that kind of work. Yeah. But uh, there, there are a couple of things that you have to sort of bring into balance. One is your own sort of creativity, your, your own aesthetic preferences, the way that you like to work, right. the kinds of images that you like to make, the stories that you want to make. And then there is the, the nonprofit organization who has... Uh, a specific need in mind. Yeah. I mean, they're looking for photographs that hit on, you know, their big talking points that help to communicate 
their own goals as an organization. And sometimes, you know, you have to find some way of making both of those things jive. Right. And it's a completely different language than, say, using doing commercial work where everything is sort of spelled out to you. Right. And said, okay, this is what you need to do, and you have to use your training and your skills as a photographer to make that happen. But there's a little more malleability available to you, but still you have to not be so much diplomatic about it, but you do have to sort of find a way of creating something that you're satisfied as an artist with, but also that satisfies satisfies the, the needs of the client. Right. You know, in a sense, it is similar from doing commercial work because you have to you have you have to achieve the goals that you set out as a client and a photographer together, you know, but, and for me, it's very much what the client wants. Mm -hmm. I don't try to impose my vision of their campaign ever, you know, I, I listen to what they're looking for and I help them find what they're looking for. And it's a very close working relationship. Another thing though, is that in, in nonprofit work and working with institutions, the level of experience that the client has uh, commissioning photography varies quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Some institutions have been around for a long time. They've worked with photographers that commissioned photography in the past, so they know how that relationship works. But a lot of the newer nonprofits, especially smaller nonprofits, they've never commissioned photography. You know, I mean, photography mm -hmm. hasn't been important in the past for, for this kind of work. That's actually changing now because we live in such a visual world, you know. Now I think uh, smaller nonprofits and, and organizations are looking to acquire photography that helps them get their message out, that helps them become more visible, but they don't have the experience of commissioning work. So a lot of times they look to me or to the photographer for that solution, you know, for, for that. They're like, this is what we want to do, help us achieve that, and I'm happy to do it, you know. And it's still a very close working relationship. But what that affords you as a photographer is a lot of freedom of creativity mm. because because they don't have that experience, they're not they're not looking for a specific kind of lighting, they're not looking for you know, they're not it's not as prescribed as commercial work, I guess, you know, because it affords it affords you as a photographer a lot of freedom. So I get to basically exercise, you know, my kind of creative efforts working towards their goals and their storytelling you know uh, vision so it's great it's actually a really great place to be and uh, but it, it regardless of the level of, of experience that the client has to me when I'm working with a client it's always very very much about what they want and what I want as a photographer and what I'm looking for for creative satisfaction is always happening anyway yeah you know what I mean uh, so I like if if they ask me to do something that I have is just not the way I work, I'll do it anyway because I know that I will learn something from that experience and I'll probably take something from that experience forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually very thankful to do something that I haven't done before. I fair I felt feel fairly confident in my technical abilities and you know all all of this yeah. stuff. So I don't I'm not really worried very much about not getting the picture because I will get what they want. I mean, I'll work very, very closely with them and literally can show them the work as we're shooting it and make adjustments from there. So the things that I'm looking for creatively are, are kind of uh, ongoing from job to job. It's like some, this umbrella that the work falls under 
you know, and I'm happy to have access to uh, s different subjects, and all of this stuff. So, you know, you said that um, in, in previous interviews that you don't really separate your personal work from the stuff that you do for right. for work. It's all one and the same yeah. for you. But I want to hear more about the, the personal work when you're not commissioned by someone to do work. Mm -hmm. What is the work that uh, uh, appeals to you? Can you give me an example of something that you've been working on recently that sort of that's been really speaking to you? Well, the Farm Workers Project was is a pretty personal project because although it was funded by the Alicia Patterson Foundation, mm -hmm. that was how I actually did that work or how I am doing that work. I I got a fellowship from the Alicia Patterson Foundation to do that work, but it was all very personal work. I didn't you know. I didn't get direction on what I was supposed to do or, you know, I didn't have a brief. So it was really very much up to me. So it gets really complicated because you tried to, in this case, I tried to um, be respectful and of service to the community. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the things that when I'm making these images, I want to make sure that that is true, that the work is respectful and of service to the community. So in that sense, it's not completely personal. But within that, that's a really large body of work. It's got it's got various sections. It's got the portraits. It's got the landscapes listed. In all of that work, there are some images that stand out to me that are very personal and that I think uh, have ideas that I will carry on into further into future work. And I guess a description of that of what those are is that the images that for me are becoming are becoming more interesting are. I guess the easiest way to describe it is that they're more abstract. They use the real world as subject matter, obviously, mm -hmm. but they're not they're not completely clear in what they're trying to say. They're ambiguous. I know that we can't hear this on the podcast, but I can point stuff out here around the living around the room. You see the image with that line? Mm -hmm. it looks like a like a it's a pole or something yeah. from a fence or something. Yeah. So when I was out in in the Coachella Valley, I drove around for days and days, you know, at a time, I would photograph things that were interesting to me, mm -hmm. almost that I didn't really understand why, but that uh, attracted me. So I'd drive around, I'd see something, get out of the car, go spend some time in that area. In this case, the image itself, it's, it doesn't really speak to anything in particular, but it speaks to me about wasted potential. And... Related to the Farm Workers Project, I feel like there's so much potential. It's so rich in the human resources, the community, that um, it really gets to me. It really makes me upset that it's not given an opportunity, the community itself, to mm -hmm. uh, become more of a, of a part of the fabric of our culture and our country. This image speaks to me of that. Um, because what it was, it was a sculpture that somebody had made almost like a, like as if a child had gathered up a bunch of, you know, garbage and, and created a sculpture out of it. But I know that it wasn't a child because it was like a, the way that it was made obviously took uh, some work and it was a big, I don't know who made it. It was just the sculpture out in the middle of a field. And by sculpture, it means, I mean, it was... <laughs> just a bunch of metal parts that somebody had picked up off the ground or something. But it spoke to me a lot, and I photographed it. And uh, so, you know, in that sense, it's very personal work. It, it's yeah. beyond 
the project and it's beyond, you know. Well, you strike in a real important point about this idea about when you're doing work for someone else and not putting your sort of own creative impulses in terms of how you react and see something yeah. and photograph them. Like I do a lot of street work and there's some things that I make photographs that don't necessarily make, make sense to me in the moment. Right. Right. But I make the photographs and later when I take a look at the pictures in retrospect, I go, oh, I sort of get it. Yeah. And I think that you, 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 your persistence in continuing to see the way you see, regardless of whether there's this construct around it in terms of work that you're trying to do, yeah. not compartmentalizing is really important because that image, as you said, doesn't speak directly to the issue that you were addressing, but sort of in a roundabout way, it's still part and parcel of everything that you're trying to do. And I think it's really, I think that's a struggle for a lot of photographers that once they get assigned work, they sort of shut down certain parts of their brain that they usually frequent as artists mm. and especially as photographers. And it's, you know, and you just remind me how important it is that you have to bring everything to the table, whether you're working for yourself or working for somebody else. Right. No, it, it, you're right. Absolutely. I, uh, uh, I used to work with a photo editor and I asked her, you know, some years ago, I said, and I said to her, um, well, what if I'm doing personal work and I'm, I'm thinking about it a certain way and then I'm doing commission work? I said, do I change the way I think about it? I mean, do I do less work because it's not that important to me because it's not... Uh, you know, personal work, and I, I didn't mean less work. I guess I get the way I meant that was, uh, I'm not really sure how I meant it, but I remember her answer was, you always bring everything all the mm -hmm. time, no matter what. And I really took that to heart. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't, obviously you have to think of the client's needs, but uh, you have to work, you have to give it your all within yeah. that. And, uh, you know, but to speak more about the, I, I liked what you were saying about how sometimes you photograph things that you don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming more and more important to me because I think that's where the important stuff is. You know, as, as a photographer, when you're photographing, you're out in the world and something is interesting to you, but you don't really know why. That means there's something there for you to learn, you know, so it's really important to, to capture that. Because it will teach you. It will later on. You can look at the work and, and you'll see why. And that process, that process mm -hmm. of learning from your own images, that's kind of like one of the best things about being a photographer. Yeah, but it takes a lot to get to the point where you trust that. Mm. Things. It's not like f stops and shutter speeds. Right. It's something you know that <laughs> it is in your gut. It's in your head. It's in your heart, and you really can't quantify it with absolutes. And so I think it, it can be really difficult. Or at least early on, to trust in that, mm. even though it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And then I think as you produce more work and over time, you get to see that there is a, a truth there. Yeah. That there is, it's as solid as anything that you hold in your hand. Right. Can you speak to a time where you felt like you got to the point where you were trusting that part of yourself, that trusting that creativity rather than doubting yourself or, or, or doubting the, the yeah. process? What I can say about that is that, you know, this almost cliched thing of like learning the rules so that at some point you're able to break them mm -hmm. as opposed to just breaking them right out of the gate. So when you're young, you're very idealistic, you know, you want to go out and change the world and, and you feel like you know how, 
you feel like you know everything because you're young yeah. and you have that. But uh, a lot of people have come before you and they felt the same way and they tried all the things that you, you know, that you are trying to do when you're young. I think that it's important to, this goes to uh, something about craft. It's important to learn your craft and practice it and get really, really good at it and become comfortable with it. I mean, and what that takes is just time, a mm -hmm. lot of time. You just spend, a, I shoot a lot. I've always shot a lot since I started shooting. I learned from that. And, and just the practice of doing that over a long time, you learn you learn the, the things that you're taught about photography in school, like the basics, composition, color, all of these things. So you just get really, really good at that. And that becomes second nature. But the other thing that happens during that process is that you develop as a photographer almost unconsciously. Like you, you start seeing patterns in your work. You start seeing the things that you're attracted to. And sometimes you can focus on, on those things and can maybe chase them down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But regardless, you, you know, you just become more mature as a photographer or as a creative person. I think it's just a process of time. I don't know that I can't point, I can point to anything to say after that point, I started trusting myself or that job or it's just been a really gradual kind of incremental process of learning and developing. Yeah. You know, uh, somebody who, who speaks about this is a person that I admire a lot is uh, Gerhard Richter, the painter. Mm -hmm, yeah. What he talks about is uh, he says that there's something that when he's painting, he's, he's chasing something down that, that he's interested in. And that's interesting. That's intriguing. He doesn't know exactly why he says. And then when he finds it, when he chases it down and pins it down, it ceases to become interesting. Oh, so, wow. so I, I do that. And then I, I kind of try to go through that process as well, where I'm like, there's something here when I'm photographing, I photograph it, don't know exactly why. And then I photograph something else, you know, and that's similar, that's in the same vein, that that's about the same thing and then I think that eventually you exhaust it you you learn what you're supposed to learn from that mm -hmm. and then you can move on to the other thing that's kind of like in the back of your mind kind of tapping you know going there's something here there's something here right now one of those things for me is um, the work of David Hammonds I don't know if you know he's no, a no. photographer uh, I mean he's an, an artist he's not a photographer but uh, uh, there's a couple other photographers and uh, the work is almost about obstruction so it's like a very simple example would be a portrait of someone where you don't see that person. The, the, the view of them is destructive. And I think it's related to what we were talking about at, at the very beginning where we're trying to show these people who are invisible to the rest mm -hmm. of, the, of our society. I think it's related to that. So, but I don't know exactly what it is yet, so I'm chasing that one down. And um, just kind of the process is great. I mean, like I said, it's the, one of the best things about being in the world as a photographer, learning, yeah, learning about yourself. Coming from parents who were migrant workers, coming from a community that was largely a person of color, that largely relegated to invisibility, that lacks voice. Here you are, the descendants of yeah. of that family, that kind of culture, and here you are with a, with a camera, having a voice, having an opportunity to not only express your own personal vision, but be able to speak for communities and cultures and families who are often voiceless. What does that feel like? I, I know that, 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 that it comes with a great responsibility, and I, I, I think that kind of goes without saying, but I'm wondering, personally, 
as, as, as a man, as a father, how does that play a role in who you are today? How does that play a role? I mean, it's everything. It, it has shaped who I am and the work that I'm doing. It's hard to think about it in those terms, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, although, like I said, everybody's favorite subject is themselves. I think it's impossible for us to really see ourselves the way other people see us, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, although I know, uh, you know, what you're talking about yeah. in terms of me being a person that has a voice for these people who were been relegated to invisibility, I think about that and I know that that's true. But what it means, what it actually means and, and is, is kind of difficult to grasp, mm-hmm. you know. So it is a lot of responsibility. I don't know. My life is so different than it used to be. Uh, you know, my life now is. I don't. I don't deal with those things every day. So, again, it's like the that insider outsider thing. You know, yeah. like I have a voice for those people, but I'm not. I'm not. It's not my life. Mm-hmm. So, I can't say that I speak from direct experience anymore. I speak from personal history. I don't know. I think it, the way that it's shaped my thinking more than anything now is that uh, I feel very, like a very broad consciousness about the issues yeah. that people of color uh, have to deal with. I mean, I myself did experience a lot of those things. You know, I was, um, I don't know, you name it. Growing up poor is, is, is tough. Although when you're very young, you're just growing up. Mm-hmm. As I look back now and and see some of those experiences of like homelessness and even uh, when I was young, just being stopped by police and made to get out of the car and, you know, at gunpoint for no reason. All of these things, you know, that I know are true every day for for, you know, many, many people. I think what, what it's done is is just created. It makes me have like an enormous amount of empathy for yeah. for people and. It's for communities of color because historically, that's who has been oppressed. That's who has been, you know, at the bottom. But now, I mean, it's not just communities of color. It's, it's just everyone who is poor has it really bad. Mm-hmm. White, black, you know, any color. So I have an enormous amount of empathy for people who are living in those conditions because because I went through them for, for you know, for one thing. And then also because a lot of my family and my extended family are still, you know, dealing with that reality, I want to help. I want to alleviate that to a certain extent. I mean, why? Why are we still talking about these things? It's 2016, mm-hmm. you know? Why are we watching young black men being killed on the internet? And somehow things aren't changing. You know, it's kind of like I can't really understand. I can't fathom this reality to yeah. a certain extent. I mean, the way you answer the question is probably the same way I would answer the question, same question because I come from immigrant parents. Yeah. We weren't necessarily poor, but we were struggling at, at, at different times and dealt with some of the very same things. But I think that that experience, what that, at least what it provides me is, is it gives me, it makes me question absolutes. Mm. You know, when I hear people on the news pontificate about this is the way things are. When they try to do it distinctively as black and white, right and wrong. Right. When you grow up, at least the way I did and the way it sounds like you do, you realize there's so much gray in, in there. 
it's much more complex. And I think that as, as photographers like you are able to do is that you're able to raise your camera and reveal that it's not absolute, that it's not so clearly defined, that there are things that need to be understood in order to be able to address those issues. Right. Or if nothing else, to allow people to be more empathetic towards each other. Right. And not be so judgmental. Right. And I think that, you know, your work, I think, exemplifies that for me. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, like I was saying, we have such a monolithic culture. that That's changing. And I'm surprised that it hasn't changed more with the Internet. <laughs> it was supposed to make everything better, <laughs> but I don't think it has, actually, to be honest. I think uh, the Internet is creating more silos now, you know. But mm. that's a different thing. But, yeah. Uh, our culture is very monolithic, and there's a very narrow idea of beauty and happiness. It's basically the way images are created to sell as toothpaste and sneakers and everything else is a very narrow idea of, of beauty and happiness. And I think that uh, at the very least, if we can broaden that, say beauty is also this, beauty is also brown skin and, you know, not skinny people and you know, happiness is also spending time with your family, you know, enjoying not not working towards owning a bunch of stuff. Right. You know, I think that uh, at the very least we can do that. We can say all these people are here as well. You know, I don't know. It's very complicated. I, 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 st- I think that our life today, our lives here in the United States are beyond the comprehension of like this, an individual hmm. it's so complicated it's exhausting to try to to try to see it all you know but uh, I, the way I see it is like at least I can do a little bit change is incremental hmm. so if I can kind of do my little bit then you do your little bit and then everybody does their little bit things will get better you know consciousness yeah. live consciously well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. Yeah. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Uh, uh, there's a young woman here in, in Los Angeles. Her name is Amanda Lopez. And she's a, a really interesting photographer in that she's a great photographer. And she's doing work with some of the things that we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, communities of color. Uh, but he's, she's also uh, doing work that's more traditionally, I guess, editorial. And uh, and um, she's just, uh, her images are beautiful. I like her because she's very young and kind of unselfconscious about her work. She just makes it and it's great. And uh, I'm looking forward to see her develop. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Noen, thank you so much for making time for me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you coming over, and uh, it's good to talk to you. Thanks to Noah Montes for appearing on the show. You can find out more about Noah and his work by visiting noahmontes.com. Please remember that you also make a big difference to our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. It helps increase our ranking and creates greater awareness about the program. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find the link in the show notes and the candid frame.com. 
To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>